Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes uncomfortable secrets of category creation in the B2B software space. On this week's episode, we have Edward Chu, CEO of Catalyst Software, and Dominique Levin, CEO of Winning by Design with special guest host, Olivier Labe, president of Metadata.io. Hello, everybody. This is Olivier, and your guest host today for the Category Creation Podcast. Um, and today we have two wonderful guests, um, and they're both in the Bay Area uh, right now. Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. Ed, uh, Edward is actually uh, down in SoCal. Uh, but we'll start first. Uh, we have uh, Dominique Levine, um, who is the CEO of Winning by Design. And then we have Edward Chu, who is the CEO of Catalyst. Uh, thank you both for coming today. Really appreciate it. Uh, let's start with uh, Dominique. Uh, can you please share something with our listeners that uh, they might not already know about you? Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, so um, people might... Uh know that um, you know I'm passionate about reinventing go-to-market. What they might not know is that I am actually secretly even more passionate about reinventing uh, work, which is something I've uh, you know been tinkering with for the last uh, I don't know 20, 30 years. I'm pretty old. Um, you know, taking taking regular sabbaticals, traveling the world with my family two times already uh, for wow. a whole year and uh, and I'm now trying to implement that all into my company as well. So my secret mission at Winning by Design is to reinvent work. Oh, that's really interesting. Well, a couple of questions right out of the gate on that. Um, so, you know, a lot of companies in, in technology have, you know, unlimited PTO, but, you know, uh, we all know that most people don't take PTO. Uh, in fact, at Metadata, we force PTO on people. So curious, <laughs> how are you doing it? Oh, yeah. So we do have unlimited PTO, but in our case, um, the entire company is basically designed around the fact that in any given quarter, you can decide how much you work. So you can decide to work full time, part time, more than full time. Maybe you need like a new kitchen or something and compensation is aligned with that. So you can work, uh, you know, extra to like get a new set of couch or a new kitchen or a new house. And um, you can also decide not to work at all and to go surf in Tahiti for a quarter or so. So that's how we... Uh, deal with that in addition to the traditional um, unlimited and mandatory time off uh, for sure. Oh, that's outstanding. I love that. Edward, uh, please introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. I'm, I'm Edward. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Catalyst. Uh, we are a customer success platform that launched in 2020. And uh, Olivia, thank you so much for, for having me here. Um, in terms of a fun stat that most people may not know about myself, um, well, I guess some people do because my marketing team outed me a, a couple months ago for, for likes on LinkedIn. But um, when I was seven, I was, um, I, I was participating in one of Asia's most popular game show called Super Sunday. Um, it's a show that every Sunday, um, you know, basically everyone in, in China and, and, and Taiwan and, and uh, different countries would watch. And um, I actually won that game show. Uh, and it was, you know, pretty nerve wracking because I had to go to karaoke bars to practice singing for 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 several, several months leading up to the event. And, you know, winning was was super cool. And uh, after I won, 
I was being asked to do commercials and, and things like that. But my mother said, hey, we are moving to the United States so Edward can learn English. So, um, you know, I blame her all the time because I could have a very much different lifestyle right now uh, if it wasn't for her. No, I'm just kidding. But it was a really, really great experience. And um, yeah, the video is is not something I will ever share. But many of my team members have seen it and they, they make fun of me for it all the time. Do you still sing? I do not. And uh, in that video, it was very clear. I am not a good singer, so I don't know how I won, but um, it was it was fun. <laughs> I bet it was. All right. So, uh, Dominique, you have an amazing background. Um, so I'd love for you to share a little bit more about the people on the call who might not be familiar with Winning by Design. Uh, but then also, uh, if you could share a little bit about your, your history, uh, building categories over the years with different companies. Yeah, so I definitely, um, I would say, I guess I've been lucky right right off the bat, um, you know, ever since I, I left college, I guess, to sort of be in in category creation mode, I guess. My first job uh, out of college was for uh, Philips Consumer Electronics. We were um, creating, I, basically our assignments was sell more electronics to women. Uh, women don't buy enough gadgets, try and find to sell them something. And we basically created a precursor of um, the iPod uh, together with Tony Fidel, who later actually created the iPod. Um, but anyway, I, I did that a number of times, helped to create the voice over IP market for uh, Dialogic, which was then later part of Intel. Um, after that, I helped to create the log management market, which we might want to talk about. It was a very interesting you know, security event management, recast that to log management, and then eventually Splunk, you know, I think took that market over. So again, creating a market is not the same as winning a market, very interesting sort of topic. And then after that, I'm super excited here to be here with Edward because um, I helped to create the customer success management market with, uh, as, as the founding CMO of Totango, which then uh, Gainsight took over. We can talk about why they, uh, again, won over um, Tatango, and then it would be super fun to hear from Edward how he's now trying to recast that uh, market uh, yet again and, uh, you know, maybe be the Splunk of the customer success market, who knows? Uh, I, I, I wish him well. And then obviously at Winning by Design, um, I guess we're also creating a market where we're in the um, strategy consulting and training business around go-to-market, but we are trying to reinvent that category as well, basically with a very product-led and, and open source approach to um, to consulting and, and, and training as well. Okay, great. Um, Edward, tell us about uh, how you know you got into deciding to build a um, customer success platform. What, what yeah. led you to this? Uh, well, thankfully for, for me, uh, you know, customer success category was, was already created uh, to Dominic's point. There's gain sign, of course. Dominic, you paved the way uh, and building a category very, very early on. So I, I have you to thank for, for my opportunity. Um, I built and led the customer success organization um, at a company called DigitalOcean. They just went public a couple months ago. Uh, I built and led the, the CS org from the ground up. And during my time there, I evaluated a bunch of tools and just decided to build my own. Um, highly don't recommend that to anybody, but uh, it ended up uh, allowing me to, to build this for, for the mass market. And I think for us, we wanted to to recategorize the the category, so to speak. So um, we interviewed hundreds of CS leaders, and uh, what we realized was that CS was just not the responsibility of the customer success organization. 
Um, so we launched Catalyst as a way to help companies move customer success to the center of their organization. And that's been our tagline since day one. And that's something that we really believe in is that everyone in the organization is responsible for CS. And um, if you look at the past 12 to 18 months, there's just been this major shift from focusing on sales to focusing on customer retention. Um, and it's just been really great for, for the category in itself. And um, the market itself is, is reshaping rapidly every single day. So I am very excited to, to chat with Dominique about this because we're both in this space right now. And, and obviously getting to talk with the one, one of the pioneers is, is uh, something that I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about. All right, well, let's, let's go there. So um, I see here that you were, Dominique, you were at Tutango 10 years ago. Uh, so tell, tell us about how, how, you know, the, the CS space got started, maybe give us a little bit background on how Tango started. Cause I remember at the beginning, uh, Tango and Gainsight, I think were like the first two that came out within, you know, a very short amount of time, uh, difference. And so love to hear, you know, the story of how Tango came about. Um, and then also, you know, what you know, did you do in the early days, uh, to try to build a category because from my recollection, um, CS wasn't really something that a lot of you know revenue teams talked about 10 years ago. So I'd love to hear um, insight that you can share with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in the early days, you're right. Actually, the first business plan of Tutango wasn't even customer success. Initially, we were working on free to paid conversion. So the actually business plan maybe today, again, would be, it was just ahead of its time. There weren't enough companies with that sort of truly product-led growth model. Um, but, uh, but anyway, at some point we realized that, uh, you know, that there was really adoption of our product by customer success professionals. Um, and we want, we decided to go after that and to make that our true North and to create the customer success category. And it starts really with, and I think setting you up advert for later is with community creation. I think it's something that, I mean, you, you're saying, uh, Edward, that you're doing it by, I don't know, sort of putting CS at the center. I don't even know if that's your superpower. From the outside in, I would actually label your superpower more around community creation, um, which we can talk about. But but definitely at the Tango, that was part of it. There's like, gee, there's all these new people that are being appointed into customer success roles, and they don't have a place to go to compare notes, right? To know what this job is about or what are best practices. So it had nothing to do with our product, but it was everything about let's bring together these customer success professionals. So one of the first things we did is we created the first ever uh, customer success conference. Again, you mentioned Gainsight and we can touch on that. Uh, clearly somewhat painful, but I'll be vulnerable here. It's, it's uh, Nick Meta as a good friend of mine, right? He sort of out played us later, right? And everybody knows about Pulse now, but really Pulse was a copycat of uh, the customer success conference that Tatango created. You know, one of Nick's superpowers is that he's amazing at raising money and he just raised, you know, 10 times more money. And so he could make his Pulse conference 10 times bigger, but I'm a little off topic. In terms of category creation strategies, definitely bringing the community together. Um, ways in which we did that is creating customer success conference, we published a lot of reports initially ourselves that almost read like analyst reports because there were no analysts covering the space. So we said, okay, fine, we'll start doing a survey, like a um, survey about uh, benchmarks in the industry, retention rates, uh, defining some of these metrics, salaries in the industry, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, but then eventually as a, as a vendor that will run out of steam. So you have to find third parties 
to um, write about your space. And uh, we did that, by the way, also way back when at, at, at a previous company where we found like, okay, Gardner doesn't want to cover it yet. It's too small. So in the case of customer success, we found Michael Blaisdell, who was a small time analyst who had covered um, customer support and who was um, you know, a believer in customer success. And he became the first analyst, quote unquote, right? We almost like put him in business. We really said, hey, Michael, shouldn't you start to write about this? You can make money off of this, advising people, you know, which he did. And then later, of course, larger, um, you know, analysts took that over. But, uh, but that's one thing. And actually, even Gainside is partially our own fault because you cannot have a category if you only have one player. So both at LogLogic and at Tango, we actually actively went looking for competitors. And then we gave those names to Michael and said, hey, you know, yes, this is a category because here is some names of people. And uh, I'm blanking now on Gainside's original name. It wasn't Gainside, but anyway, they were like pre-Gainside. Um, and uh, yeah, so in some ways we put them into business. Uh, and then again, they, they outdid that by being a fast follower, um, you know, and by raising so much money that they sort of sucked the air out of the room, right? They, they grew bigger, faster. Uh, and the other thing I think that game, I know you didn't ask that, but I think something to really give GameSide credit for is if you're in a very early market, uh, sometimes you need to surround your product with services, which is something I think they did very well. Like, I frankly, apologies, Nick, I'm not a big fan of the Gainsight product, but I think he did a really, or that company did a great job providing services, right, so that people could, you know, it's almost like services that Winning by Design <laughs> offers today as well, right? Like, hey, let me help you design your customer success organization. Let me help you design your customer success process. And especially in the early days, right, when you have a blue ocean kind of new market, that is very important, right? Sort of that crossing the chasm complete product definition. You need just not just the technology, you need the whole set of our best practices around that. And I think, you know, it's a tango. We did try to do that with the community, but I think Gainside uh executed on that very well subsequently uh also okay now let's fast forward to today um what does the uh um, success uh space look like edward um who, how many players are, are now part of it and and what is your strategy um at this moment to try to, to recast and, and reframe this category yeah i honestly think there's like eight to 10 players. And it seems like there's a new player coming out every week. And, and to my point earlier is that when COVID first hit, um, that's actually when we publicly launched our product in 2020. And well, what great timing, right? Two months before COVID. And um, at that point, every board member was telling their CEOs, cut sales, do layoff, reduce costs, but whatever you do, do not lose the customers that we have today. And luckily for us and everyone in this space, it was like, that is the solution that we sell. So um, we just grew tremendously and um, our positioning uh, and Dominic, thank you so much for, for teeing it up is we are very much uh, community driven. We, we wanted to humanize the CS movement. So a couple of things that you may have seen us do recently is that we launched the first uh, customer success meme library. So when we see um, uh, people that we know and VPs of CS use our memes inside their quarterly business reviews, to, to make the meetings more lighthearted. Like that's the way that we've interacted. We, we did the first um, customer success escape the room. We had uh, tons of CS leaders from around the world do this massive escape the room contest. Um, we also did this thing called PTO Palooza that was actually featured in the New York Times where 
Um, we wanted to promote mental health and mental well-being and, and taking time off for not just CS professionals, but everyone in the community. So um, the way that we evangelize our brand is just by connecting with the humans in the space. And obviously, we feel like we have a very good product. But I think when you have so many players in the space, you got to differentiate yourself some way, somehow. So that's been very big for us. And our marketing team even also did. I, I mean, this is a little bit crazy, but they launched Retain Me, which is the world's first uh, CSM dating app on April Fool's Day. And people were signing up because they thought it was real. Honestly, my marketing team gives me so much anxiety and stress sometimes. But uh, mm -hmm. that is the creative way in which they they connect with the CS people in the community, because I think we all have such important jobs. And, you know, Dominique, I, I think I speak for the both of us, like, there's no more pressure than trying to keep a customer, trying to keep them engaged, trying to buy time for product to deliver features, um, trying to find use cases and build the product roadmap. And by understanding, being the voice and, and ears um, for, for the company on understanding your customer base. So um, I think when you humanize the, the customer success movement, um, it's really worked really well for us. I feel like, you know, a lot of people really engage connecting I really enjoy connecting with our brand. They really look forward to everything that we push out um, every single month in terms of the new things that our marketing team comes up with. So um, that's that's been our, our thinking and our, our brand of customer success. Yeah, and I think it goes to a much bigger theme, uh, Olivier, which is really, if you think about it, right, you can differentiate not just based on what you sell, right? But based on how you sell. I mean, that's a big tagline for us at Winning Bite. It's also the reason why we exist, right? Like we believe you should put as much engineering and design into your go-to-market as you put into your product. But I think what Edward's getting at is that, yeah, I mean, and there's lots of examples, right? Like that in the industry, I would even argue, you know, I made reference earlier to the um, sort of arc side became Log logic, became Splunk, right? There were some products stuff there there was some like hey if you're a fast follower if you come in later you can sort of strip away maybe 80 percent of the features that people don't use and just make it simpler but there was also a lot like i would argue that if you look at splunk it was one of the first companies that had a true product-led model right they didn't even they weren't even SaaS, but they had like a free download um so it was a very high velocity sort of model so they absolutely differentiated based on how they sold and i think edward to some extent you're doing that as well right and it has to do with the maturity of the market in some ways Tatango is interesting because i think Tatango tried the product-led market uh, go-to-market model but you can't do it when you have so if you took the blue ocean like red ocean analogy right you cannot really do product-led in a blue ocean Right, they were too early. Sort of the wrong match of their go-to-market model and the uh, and the state of the market. Like when you're red ocean, sort of where we are today in a more mature market and customer success, it's the only way, you know, to break in. Right, is to differentiate how you sell. Right, both product-led, but also I think what you're doing, Edward, is this sort of bottoms-up, ground sell, right, community. And I guess you're leveraging brand also, indeed, in a very creative way. Uh, but I think the Uber theme there to me is like differentiate based on how you sell, especially in more of a red ocean market where, you know, features are commoditizing and, 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 and the product is maybe not as much of a differentiator anymore. What, one of the things that's so interesting is when we first um, came into this market, uh, we, you know, we give Nick and, and Gainside a, a ton of credit and their approach was very much the CS leaders, the enterprise leaders 
buying the product and then pushing it downwards to, to the rest of the organization. Um, we are a CS platform in which the CEO has done the job before. I used to do all the quarterly business reviews. I used to wake up at 3 a.m. to deal with customer outages. I used to collect customer feedback myself and send it to the marketing team. So when you log into Catalyst, it looks and feels like it's built by somebody who understands your pain. So we went the opposite direction. We did the bottoms up approach in which we tried to evangelize with the customer success managers. We wanted to build something that they would absolutely love to use versus the top down approach. So um, completely agree with your point. There's just this fundamental shift. And I think from the market timing perspective, um, it's just been really great for us. I mean, every single person on the planet now talks about net dollar retention. Um, five years ago, you would have never heard anyone on CNBC uh, or Jim Cramer talking about NDR or churn, but these are terms that they use all the time for every public offering. So it's been really great for, for all of us in this space. And, and um, sometimes you could have the best product in the world, but when the market is just not there, it just doesn't mean anything. And Right now, I truly believe there is this major shift from sales uh, to post sales that, that we're all enjoying. So I have a question for you, Dominique, and I'm curious, how long did it take before the analysts were willing to engage with you? And obviously, you mentioned what you did in order to try to get some traction. Uh, but, you know, how, you know, the, the, you know, thinking about Gartner and, and Forrester, how long did it take uh, for them to, to want to engage with you guys? I think it just takes by definition long because they have some internal rules and a category needs to be at least a billion dollars in revenue. So that means that you need to take, you know, your revenue and the revenue of your competitors and it needs to all add up to a billion. So that's going to take a while, right? Uh, so that's why I said the strategy I recommend there is just look for alternatives. I gave you the example of Michael Blaisdell, right, who was uh, already sort of a, a smaller analyst. Uh, when we were at LogLogic, we went... Um, to the SANS Institute. I don't know how familiar with the security market, but that's that was a very well-known security training institute. Uh, again, they, they were a very um, influential voice in the market, but they weren't really a, um, an analyst firm, but we convinced them to start writing reports. Basically, we convinced them to get into the analyst business uh, because they were such a credible and neutral voice. And I think initially, you know, again, you have to do that until you get to the point, right, where it's big enough for um, the real players to, to, to pay attention. I guess the other thing you can do, which we also tried at LogLogic, is to, to recast an existing category or quadrant, right? So I think I alluded to that briefly. There was at the time security information and event management. That was an existing category. The leader in that market was a company named ArcSight. ArcSight went public and then was acquired by HPE. So Again, they were, you know, a large and successful company and the leader in that space. And that space had its own quadrant at that point. And then we, um, the other thing we did is we just recast that. And we said, you know, event management is about collecting, um, collecting uh, security data and then uh, throwing 98% away to uh, get to the one or two alarms that whatever your security team needs to pay attention to. And we said, well, there's actually this other thing called log management, where it's very important for compliance that you need to have 100% of all security events stored and archived almost so that you can do a replay like the security camera of the internet or whatever, right? Let's say you have a hack or a breach, you need to go back and replay the tapes. And so we said that they needed to start including that as a requirement for all 
Uh, and initially they said that we were delusional and that there was never going to be such thing as a log management market. And then eventually, of course, you know, and again, I don't know what Splunk's market cap is these days, but I don't think anybody would argue that, that you know, log analysis is, is a thing. Yeah. So Edward, you said you guys launched uh, less than two years ago. Um, so curious, how long did it take you to uh, get in front of uh, the analysts? It's really funny because when we first launched, I was Googling customer success magic quadrant and I could find nothing. And I was like, this is weird because every sales tech has a category, marketing tech has a category. But the funniest story is in the past 30 days, both Gartner and SMP Global reached out to me to, to chat about the customer success category. Seriously, in the past 30 days. And that's what I'm talking about is that finally, um, everyone is recognizing how important customer success is. Um, customer success managers is like fifth on LinkedIn's top 10 number of fastest growing jobs, even ahead of data engineers. That would have been unheard of years ago. So I think the fact that there's such a spotlight on customer success and analysts are starting to see it is, is critically important. And I think the other thing is the other category that, that's been around for a long time is, is customer experience management. And uh, when Medallia, which is a surveying company, like when you fly United, when you fly American Airlines, or when you go get your, um, your, your pulse check at, at CVS, the survey that you fill out uh, is sponsored or powered by Medallia. But then they went backwards to go buy Strike Deck, which is another customer success platform. And they're starting to be this shift on how do you include customer experience with employee experience, with surveying tools, with B2B SaaS, as well as customer success. So I think people are starting to realize that there's just this connective tissue between CRM, customer experience management, surveying, CS that is all aligned on the entire customer journey. So I think in the next 12 months or so, at the very latest, um, everyone's going to recognize that CS is, is a very, very major part of the customer journey story. I guess the other element there, right, is that it's not just like, I, I mentioned a billion dollar, but I was also like, who is adopting it? And I think, you yeah. know, God, I'm in Silicon Valley, right? We're all sort of, I don't know, connected to tech and VC land and as an echo chamber, right? I mean, just because all Silicon Valley companies have CS organizations doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, so what's happening on Main Street, right? Like, is it crossing the chasm to the point that Fortune 1000 companies, you know, care about this? And I think, you know, obviously, Edward, you alluded to this. I think the pandemic has helped customer success or specifically uh, just revenue from existing customers. Uh, really, you know, become a major priority. It was one of those things, I always joke, like the pandemic, it's almost like all the projects that should have happened long ago, right? Including all the projects at my house, all the remodeling and <laughs> such, right? Should have happened long ago, but now they happened. And so, uh, so the same thing, I think with um, focusing on the customer, focusing on winning by design, we call it recurring revenue, right? So you see that this right hand of the bow ties, we're calling it, or a focus on the complete customer life cycle, you know, recognizing that up to 98% of revenue will come after the initial sale. Again, in Silicon Valley, we've known that, you know, I think venture funded startups all around the US have been asked about that. But I think, you know, like it's showing up on CNBC and so forth is really something of the last two years. And I think that has been accelerated by the pandemic and that focus, you know, out of necessity on existing customers. And it's super exciting, obviously, it's really cool. 
Yeah, I um, I can relate. I mean, as a Series A company, uh, you know, considering our options for Series B, NRR has been our number one North Star metric for this year. Revenue growth has not not been an issue, and we're you know mostly focused on on having NRR, you know, in the 120 percent range and trying to get to 150. It's much easier to upsell current customers. Uh, than it is to to bring in new customers, and so definitely see the the value from investing um, in your your uh, internal infrastructure to drive success with your customers. Where do you guys think the space is going to look like? Uh, and I think Edward, you kind of alluded to it, um, you know, adding customer experience and so on. And most you know large um, categories tend to get broken up. Right, and that's one of the things that a new newcomer like yourself is trying to do. Right, you want to you want to shift and, and then break the category apart so that you can you know essentially become a leader uh, in the new category. So, you know, how, what do you guys think is going to happen to this space? Um, I think for me personally, you know, this is assuming the big companies don't try and gobble up smaller players because, as you know, there's companies like Salesforce. They start off as CRM, but then they have Service Cloud which competes with Zendesk. They have part of which competes with Marketo. They have the full suite of, of tools and same Medallio is another example. So I think larger companies are starting to visibly see the importance of CS and they're going to be aggressively going after it. But I think the most important difference that's really going to change in the next couple of years is access to data. There's a reason why companies like Snowflake are a hundred billion dollar market cap because there is a major digital transformation that's happening in which companies that have never been, had the ability to access their data now have a single source of truth that they can tap into and build into and provide visibility into that data. So um, I'm not one to, to use, I don't enjoy using the words like machine learning or AI, but that's the reality is that when you have access to data, you want to understand that data and you want that data to prescribe information back to you so that you think less. That's what's happening with every single tool that, that we use today. I mean, even um, Google Calendar release um, some, some insights of like, hey, these are all the meetings that you are. This is how much time you spend in one-on-ones. And, and those are the things that you want to see. So I think we're certainly moving into a direction very, very soon in which um, data is going to be much more automated and um CS leaders and CSMs are going to be very much empowered by that data. I think the CS industry has a major blind spot that, and actually I think we need a new term. I don't think customer success, because customer success now is tied to uh, customer retention and churn prevention and to uh, maybe customer experience, but I think it's really about revenue, right? In the end of the day, why do I care as a CEO or a CRO? Again, I care because that's where 98% of my revenue is. I would even argue that a customer that is not expanding is by definition at risk of leaving. And so we should focus much less on you know, retention and like, you know, focus much more on expansion. And that does mean that you need to be very comfortable talking about revenue. And I'm finding that many, too many people in the customer success space, I'm not talking about you, Edward, but I know like individual customer success manager, are just uncomfortable being on a quota, being responsible for revenue. I'm like, why? Like, why? I mean, in a modern customer-centric way of selling, right? You're helping a customer if you can achieve more impact, if you can tell them about that other feature or that other product, right? And, and, and in too many companies, the customer success organization is trying to protect the customers from the evil salespeople, like people like, so I think the major, you know, <laughs> blind spot 
an amazing opportunity at the same time, right? I think for just a profession, and then I guess the tools can align with that, is just, let's just focus on customer lifetime value, customer expansion, customer impact, right? Achieving recurring impact for your client automatically, you know, achieves recurring revenue. And then that, uh, anyway, and, and the speech, but, uh, but yeah, so I think, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it has to happen, right? There's a little bit of myopia, like let's focus more just and, and just be grown-ups and talk about revenue. I, th I think it's happening now. I mean, customer revenue optimization is just a great way to describe everything that you just talked about because yeah, I like that. With, with valuations going as high as they are right now, the only way that it can keep up is if the CS organizations contribute to that revenue. And I think the shift is, is coming soon enough because companies are growing such rapidly. I think we're going to see the first you know, multi-trillion dollar companies very soon as besides SpaceX and everything else, but company valuations in order for it to mirror, um, revenue has to come from different levels of, of the organization. So I, I completely All right, agree. let's make that the new category, Edward. We'll make customer let's, revenue optimization. Like, let's yeah. do it. Let's do live a deal, on, man. Li on. Live on this podcast. <laughs> there we go. You were here at, at the, to, to see this, witness this. This is outstanding. Um, okay, uh, what was what's the best tactic you've applied to create a category? Dominic, um, you mentioned you, you did an event, which um, I think um, you guys were quite proud of. What was the best tactic? Because you've done this, you know, what, a handful of times. So over, over you know, your, uh, your career, what was the best tactic? If you had to give one tactic uh, to CEOs that are listening here that are trying to build uh, new categories, what would it be? Uh, yeah, there's definitely a number one. I mean, the, maybe the one is the recency problem. The one that I'm currently deploying most and having the most benefit from is, uh, is I mean, it's basically a product-led approach, right? Just give to get, like uh, educate the market. Again, at Winning by Design, we're doing it right now through um, giving away. And again, consulting is traditionally a market, right? Where you sort of, or an analyst firm, you hog your IP and it's all like very high priced. And I'm like, no. So we have a website called thescienceofrevenue.com. You can download all of our frameworks. You can go to Amazon. You can buy books for $20 that have like $200,000 for advising them. We can go to YouTube. You can completely free watch all of our training videos, right? And so I think it's gift to get, like just focus on educating the market. Uh, and then uh, that, that will come back, right? I mean, I can tell you Google, Capital One, I mean, there's brand after brand that you know, obviously knock on our door and we're not the only ones. It's just a product-led sort of playbook, right? That say, hey, I read your books. I watched your YouTube videos. I tried to implement it. Could you please help? And again, in our case, that's services, but obviously, you know, at, at um, LogLogic or at Totango, those were products or software products. Um, but I think gift to get, you know, contribute to the community, educate, um, I think would be uh, number one. How about you, Edward? What, uh, what have you done so far? Uh, uh, I've that... been at two back-to-back -back companies now. One I was a part of growing, um, and now one I am CEO of. And I think resoundingly, the one advice I give to even any entrepreneurs I meet with is, is community evangelism. DigitalOcean was a developer company that competed with AWS and Google Cloud. I mean, those are two monster companies to compete with. But every single developer just loved the DigitalOcean brand. You can wear a DigitalOcean t-shirt anywhere in the world and developers will stop you at the airport and say, oh my gosh, I, the, I love the $5 droplets. 
Um, and I think for Catalyst, this is the same thing. I feel like we're doing an excellent job of that. People love the Catalyst brand. People love to engage with us. Um, we're very accessible. Um, we're very much powering the CSMs. We're very much one of them. And um, I think it just works really well because not only are you helping supporting the community that you are a part of, you are elevating it by making everyone a part of your story. And I feel like, you know, whether you are a customer or whether you're not a customer of Catalyst yet, um, you are there supporting the Catalyst brand because we're not just representing us, we're representing the community. Um, and that's a very selfless thing that a company has to be able to master. And I think we, we've done a very good job of that. Now, you, you had COVID to deal with. So the, the community building you've been doing has been online. Um, what are you going to do next year that has to do, you know, with, you know, building a community uh, where people get to engage with one another in person? To be honest, um, we have been kind of uh, rebels in, in that and in, in, in a very um, good way, as in like, We've already done a, a master chef showdown where we got some of the top CS leaders in the community to, to battle in a uh, Gordon Ramsay style chef cooking competition. And we all gathered in this beautiful kitchen in New York City and it was highly, highly competitive. It was uh, my team on one side with, with 10 CS leaders, my co-founder on the other. My team did win, um, but it was, it was such a fun event in that um, nothing replaces like in-person engagement. So, um, but on that note, like, I think you have to do both. Like this world has changed. Like people are not going to the office. I'm paying $70,000 a month for office that three people go into, uh, on a day to day basis, sometimes five, sometimes 10, that's a lot of money to support an, an office. But, um, there are days where 20 people will show up and we've flown the entire company into together and in those moments, they're just super powerful. So um, I think it's it's a good balance of both, but um, next year we're, we're gonna continue to do both. And, and Dominic, as the person who pioneered the first CS conference, like I think you know, at some point in time, we'd love to do that. Like who, who wouldn't want to get everyone that's been building this industry together in a room to together and, and, and connect with each other. But that's a little bit harder than getting 20 people in, in a kitchen, like getting thousands of people is, is I'm not sure where they're at, but you know, based on recent news, I think I think we're we're getting close. Yeah, but both of those work, right? I think in the we yeah. referenced Plunk a couple of times. I mean, there was a time in their history they did these community meetups. I think there was in a three month period of time they did one thousand of them across the country, right? Like. Uh, I don't know if you follow our founder, Jacko, but he's driving around in a van these days and we're like, uh, all right, let's hop in the van and let's do, you know, a thousand twenty person like education sessions right around the country. Why not? I mean, we'll make lemons, lemonade from lemons. But uh, sometimes those small, powerful gatherings, uh, the small gatherings are more powerful even right when you get that true community connection like you were referencing uh, as well. Absolutely. Okay, so I have two questions left. Um, these are more personal questions uh, so that um, we can learn from your experience. Um, so I'll start with Dominique. Uh, what is a hashtag fail moment in your career as an entrepreneur? Uh, what is a hashtag fail moment? Um, well, I think we referenced it already, right? Creating a category is not the same as winning a category. I mean, uh, 
Michael Baum, the founder of Splunk, now owns a castle in uh, France where he is uh, giving wine tours. And uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun. Actually, I don't want to stop working. But uh, but yeah, I think I think to make sure that you realize creating a um, category is not winning it, and those are different things and require different strategies. Uh, you need to be good at both if you want to, uh, you know, not be forgotten. Which I don't actually care as much about the money, but uh, but you know, not not necessarily being recognized is is uh, you know as as you get gray hairs and older, it's also about legacy. And I'm like, damn, not gonna happen to me again. Um, for me, uh, when we had raised our first seed round of catalysts, of it was two and a half million dollar seed. This was like five years ago. Um, we hired wrong. Um, it really taught us the importance of how you hire, um, which is critically important. And we hired for talent. We hired for um, skill set um, versus hiring for culture. And that is just the wrong way of, of building a company. And we burned through a million dollars. I remember being on a rooftop with my co-founder and I started crying because I was like, man, this this company is messed up right now. We got to rebuild everything because we just didn't build the right team from the get-go. Um, but from that moment on, we made a promise to ourselves that we are always going to hire people first, culture first, be employee-driven first. And, and we have never looked back since. So, um, you know, something I'm really proud of is that in the past 12 months, uh, we've had, you know, less than... Uh, uh, 5% attrition rate on, on our employees. We continuously score 90 plus percent on, on our engagement score. And that's really tough thing to do during, you know, what people are calling the great resignation. But when you are building a people first culture and that's how you hire and that's how you optimize it, it really um, creates a, a, a long-term brand. So, uh, but yeah, you know, after burning through a million dollars and it's your first company and you don't know what to do and you got to restart from scratch, it's a little bit scary. How often do you do uh, team pulse check? Uh, once a quarter. And it's, okay. it's great. I mean, you just, and we, we actually do uh, checks throughout like the events that we're doing. Um, how do you feel about um, the employee experience activities and strategies that the team is employing? So we're constantly getting feedback through uh, actual surveys or sometimes just through Slack in a more like informal way. Yeah, we're we're doing it monthly. Don't know if it's too much, but we're uh, we have like ninety percent uh, participation, and our scoring's been really good. But we're trying to make sure that you know, we're we're on it as well. I wish somebody would ask me monthly. You know how 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 you know am I doing and taking care of you? I would, you know I'd love to give monthly feedback. Uh, well, you can ask your board members to do that. Uh, I know, <laughs> yeah, I know I'm my sure they'll, they'll do that. I know my CEO asks me all the time, scale one to 10, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, next question. Uh, if you can go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Dominic, I'll let you kick this one off since, since I just uh, I don't know. I think just be your own boss. I mean, I'm, I grew up in the Netherlands. I, it's not a very startup-y kind of culture. I came to, um, you know, truly starting and owning my own company pretty late. Uh, and I went sort of the long route, first corporation, Fortune, you know, 1000s, and I did the entrepreneurial thing. And then I worked for, um, 
venture funded companies, but you're really, it's not your company, it's the investor's company. And so, I don't know, I think I'm now hashtag be your own boss. I wish I had done that 20 years before. I don't care how big or small the company is. I just want to control my own destiny. And so, yeah, so that's what we are now. We're, wish I'd done that uh, 20 years earlier. Thank you for sharing. Uh, my final advice or to myself is, you know, don't do a hot ones interview challenge in front of the whole company. I did that um, as like a kickoff thing uh, during the pandemic. So I get everyone, you know, excited and engaged about the new year. And that was a catastrophic mistake. Um, I was dying. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried these hot sauces, but there, there's one called the bomb that just completely killed me. And it got so bad to the point where my wife yelled through the zoom. She's like, enough guys. And, and I was like, Leslie, please don't talk during my all hands, but she was seeing me suffer so badly. So I give, obviously give her a lot of credit for, for trying to protect me. Uh, the actual advice is, you know, knowing the difference of when to be a peacetime leader and, and a wartime leader. I think there are different moments when you're leading a company where you just have to be extremely aggressive and, and you have to be the one that, that drives the, the, the steering wheel. And there are, be, there are times when, when you have to know how to sit back. And I think um, in the early days, I was hiring such great people and, and um, you know, just letting the, the seams flow. And, and But there's just moments as I'm starting my own company and learning how to do a company that there are just moments where you have to be the one to 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 drive the organization by force and and through your vision and through through your own 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 skill set. So um, that's something that I've I constantly remind myself every single day. Okay, um, so as we head into the holidays, Thanksgiving is next week. What are you guys uh, going to be doing uh, for the holidays that you're very very excited about? Um, my daughter is, is two now. So, you know, she just learned how to, to speak a lot. So right now it's just hanging out with her. I mean, she is everyone's pride and joy. She's the first kid and in, in, in the family, my mom loves her definitely more than she loves me. Uh, and, and it's, uh, it's a super, super exciting time at, at, at my household. Yeah, I know. I love Thanksgiving. It's such a great holiday. It's just all about family. I'm on the other end of that spectrum. I think it's the last Thanksgiving I'll have all my three teenagers on the one roof, my daughter <laughs> being a senior. And so, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll have one more test to convince her to uh, come back again. And uh, so we'll hopefully uh, make sure that all the traditional dishes come out perfect, that she will still join us and come back from college to visit us next year. Oh, I'm sure she will. She'll need some laundry. She'll need some food money. I I used to love to go back home to just do laundry and get food. Uh, from yeah, my parents. Teen, teenage Edward will tell you that that is going to continue to happen. You always need cash and you always need food. Um. <laughs> I know I got a, I like many Americans, I got a, a dog, well, just before the pandemic, actually. And I said, you know, it's nothing to do with pandemic. I think every parent of a teenager needs a dog. So there is at least one person in the household who's happy to see you and who loves your cooking. So, um, <laughs> so if not the, the teenagers, then at least the dog will, will be there. Uh, that's, that's funny advice. Thank you for that. All right, guys. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank happy you, Olivia. Happy Thanksgiving, Dominique. All right. Okay. Bye. 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 
Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and will tune in again. Find all of the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. 